Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change. We do not care whether the cat is black or white, as long as it can catch mice. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. U-turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. You must keep your mind on the objective, not on the obstacle, is a quote from William Randolph Hearst the American businessman, politician, and newspaper publisher, known for developing one of the largest newspaper chains and media companies. I thought this was an appropriate quote for our discussion today, as our guest heads one of Australia's largest media conglomerates that reaches over 16 million Australians every month through newspapers, magazines, books, and screens of all sizes. Our guest today is Michael Miller, Executive Chairman of News Corp Australasia who oversees a portfolio of national, metropolitan, regional and community brands that include The Australian, Sky News Australia, The Daily Telegraph and Vogue Australia. News Corp Australia also has significant investments in Foxtel, Fox Sports Australia and the REA Group, to name a few. Michael is also chairman of the Premium Content Alliance and a director of Foxtel. He was previously chief executive officer of APN News and Media. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. I am your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blender Partners, the number one research-led executive search and board advisory firm. In an open discussion, Michael shares with us his views on an array of topics, from the evolution of journalism and building trust in society the increasing scrutiny that comes with heightened security to the future of news and its coexistence with big tech. At an age where competition and content are plenty, he brings to the fore the importance of diversity in creative and constructive debate and what it means to innovate, to set the benchmark and push the boundaries. So sit back and enjoy pushing the boundaries. Michael, welcome to the show. Greg, it's good to be here. Michael, what role did media have or play in your childhood? Hey, I um, grew up uh, loving media. I am um, a local media. Uh, we were a family that always uh, had the radio on in the morning, had the papers delivered from Sydney to the home, uh, the thump of the, on the lawn is on the dew. Uh, it was something which I remember f- probably fondly as a kid, and it was a habit. And you know, sitting around the, the 7 o'clock news uh, in the evening uh, was a ritual. And then it was the debate over and discussion over over supper, which was uh, a ritual within the family. So like, it was something which uh, uh, we, you know, I think, many people grew up with, and it was a uh, key part of my upbringing. It was um, you know, being you know, in touch with what was happening uh, in, the, in the big smoke. Well, where was home? Home was Musselbrook in the Hunter Valley. 
a great part of the world where we had a combination of mines but also vineyards. You know, there were horse studs, there were there was coal mining. And so, you know, it was a whole mix, but it wasn't a large place and you know, everyone knew everyone. So how does someone come from the hunter to have a career like you? What was the inspiration? The uh, the, the pathway is uh, you know, it's been <laughs> I feel like it's in some ways a long one and not always one that was uh, obvious and not obvious to me at least. Yeah, and uh, in many ways I love the story and I always had an interest in media. I was um, you know, was a avid reader and. Um, whether that was writing or whether it was uh, marketing, whether it was the the, the story ultimately uh, was probably what you know, drew me to the industry. You know, it was one which you know, I fell into at uni and I uh, majored in comms and communications. Yep. And that you know, if you follow what you enjoy, ultimately I think you uh, you, know, you do better at it. Journalism is it still got the nobility around it? Uh, it uh, has evolved. What is a journalist today? You know, a lot of people uh, like to think that they're journalists and that they can self-publish. Um, hey, being, a, I think it does to have still have the ability that you know, it has had previously. Yep. I think people uh, very much um, respect those who um, you know, put journalism and you know, put their name out there, mm-hmm. you know, put themselves to a byline. Um, as they're identifiable. They you know, sign up to uh, journalists today. They, the good ones are the ones that uh, sign up to a code of ethics, accountable to a press council or to an ACMA in different in, in different mediums. They you know, have got had laws they need to abide by. There are standards in editing and researching, and that and more than ever before, I think those that uh, are, are our real journalists, identifiable, working for you know, brands which people respect, uh, probably. Finding it tougher, but if any, maybe even more noble. Is there anybody in particular when you're coming through the ranks that you thought, "My goodness me, that person never gives up, always comes to, comes through on the story, just had that ultimate respect." I, I grew up on the Sydney Morning Herald, and you know that was the paper my parents chose. We got the Australian on weekends. Yep. Um, I remember reading as a kid Philip Adams. Um, there was uh, as a uh, as a marketer as the Bryce Courtney's who could transverse into storytelling. I uh, Leo Schofields who could you know talk to food but talk to culture at the same time. Um, it was the the cricket writers that you know, you'd cut the pages out and stick them in your book, and you'd sit there with the uh, the the annual uh, summer of cricket with you know writing down every score as well uh, as your own personal record you know, before the stats were available yeah available free to everyone. It was probably those who could ask tough questions. You know, I think of the. The four corners of old, yeah, and 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 today they still do long form journalism well. Um, Sixty minutes, so you know, as I got older, was a place where you'd see those uh, great dawns of you know, the ABC that try and migrated to nine. Hey, they're all people who I think you know, showed that they could make a difference, and that you know, was I is probably one of my north stars. Is that are we making a difference, a positive one? And you know, sometimes making a difference is making a, you know, tough calls. I you know, started you know, my career selling ads. And I think you know, if you can sell a, an ad, then you can sell anything. It's pretty tough out there. I worked on Countdown Magazine, Hero Magazine. I worked for a representation company from getting the job at the CES you know, back in Vogue. It was you know, finding an opportunity while I was at uni, and that you know, gave me access you know, opportunities to meet editors and journalists. And I was probably you know, attracted to while at uni at the business of, of media as well. And that particularly how different you know, media work together. And, and when I first started my career, you were either an advertiser on TV or radio, or you know, not even out of home at that stage, or print. 
probably what I saw and you know, enjoyed was how did the pieces come together and how do you construct a campaign and that's part of the story again but it's also part of having an impact on a business and that's where for me you know, a big part of marketing was always telling the story. What's changed in the whole focus around revenue generation in the world of media since you started out? Well, a lot of things have changed and, and they maybe haven't changed as much, maybe just how you uh, deliver it. So you know, traditionally, publishing has been um, uh, probably 80% advertising, 20% uh, consumer or cover price revenue. It's moving close to 50-50 now in terms of client and consumer. And so therefore, that changes your focus. Yeah. Um, when we think about consumer... Um, it's no longer you know, buying the papers in such big numbers. They still are a lot of numbers. In fact, in 2020, we sold more papers than in 2019. Such was the demand for our trusted and local news. But I think where particularly has been the growth is Australia's propensity to pay for, for digital content, uh, whether that be a news media brand at a local level or whether it be a streaming service, whether it be KL Binge um, or Foxtel. It could be Netflix, Stan, uh, Disney Plus Prime. Australians are the uh, third highest in the world who have a propensity to pay for content, um, such as our demand. And that's why, even though we're a very small country in terms of population, um, all those big companies look at the spreadsheet and say, well, we should launch in Australia because they like paying for content. Additionally, coupled with that is you know, we're the second fastest in the world after Norway for early adoption of technology. And that that is how you know, our client model has changed in terms of being more digital revenue oriented and you know, coupled with an audience, a large digital audience that, that is consuming our journalism. Um, you know, there's also our clients that want to place their messages around that. Can you talk us through the scale of, of News Corp? Hey, News Corp today is um, a, you know, we're a vast company. Um, just thinking about it in Australia, we publish 112 regional and community mastheads. Yep. Um, we have, in regional Australia, we have over 400 uh, journalists covering you know, just regional and community news. Our publishing business uh, tells you know, their stories of you know, whether it be in the Australian or whether it be in the Manly Daily, um, in papers in Bundaberg and Geelong. Additionally, we're the publisher of Vogue and GQ. We um, publish Kidspot, Australia's biggest uh, news brand in terms of audiences, news.com today, as a single a single. Brand um, does remarkably well um, on an ad-funded model, uh, so that's not subscription. At the same time, our um, you know, other assets in Australia include uh, Foxtel, um, which also now uh, broadcasts KO and, and, and Binge. Sky News is part of the News Corp stable. We're a um, 67% uh, shareholder in realestate.com.au, which is you know, now the world's largest real estate group. And um, do a fantastic job in you know, serving our great Australian dream and our great Australian love of, ho of home and home ownership. We um, are publishers of taste, and so our, you know, we're the biggest food publisher in the country with a you know, eight to one margin to the number two player. When we think through travel, Escape is a powerhouse as a travel brand. So hey, I'm only mentioning some of them, um, but you know, we you know, Increasingly, our business is more digital. In fact, if you look at News Corp's earnings, yeah, you'll see that about only 20% of our earnings are print. And so you know, it's, a, it's a diverse company, but has a lot of common strengths in the, you know, interacting and understanding audiences and you know, the power of storytelling, as particularly you know, in the fiction space, HarperCollins um, is uh, a proudly part of the group as well. So it's always striving to achieve. It's always innovating. 
And as the person in charge of this tremendous organization across Australasia, what's the glue? What's, what's the culture? And we all read about from the outside, but can you give us a bit of a feel? I um, often refer back to you know, our core values and that, you know, I think that is what ultimately brings people together and, and cultures together. So I mentioned that to make a difference. You know, we're not here just to serve the expected. I think you know, part of you know, what we need to do often is to, to make a difference and to push thinking and to sometimes be in positions of you know, not being always comfortable uh, but ultimately campaigning and holding those who make decisions to account. Now, getting it done, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of, you know, you could, it's not just the words on the page, but it's the, you know, the impact that it has. It's the, the teamwork. Uh, we're, uh, uh, we are very much a collegiate, I suppose, company that are there for each other, but that's part of being there for communities as well. So teamwork is, and papers don't get published without great teamwork. And any, I think, media organisation uh, that functions well, it's about creative debate. And, and you know, I think our culture is really one of the newsroom whereby there's an issue. And, uh, and an editor's job is to listen to the views of many. And you know, diversity within newsrooms is vital to have you know, a functioning outcome to say, well, what is ultimately the best for our audience here? And how can we best tell this story in a way which engages? Being principled, you know, there's go, no-go zones. By the issue, you need to evaluate that. But you know, being principled, um, and then equally being able to push the boundaries. And so, what, no, what, what does that mean? Push the boundaries for you guys? Yeah. Oh, hey, yeah, we've got to be a risk taking. You've got to be open to risk, and you don't grow if you, know, you don't want to you know, just be there. You, know, you want to be you know, the best. And so, I think in any industry, those who are the best are the ones that you know aren't afraid to you know be the benchmark. In fact, they set the benchmark. They break new ground. And that's really about pushing boundaries and sometimes you don't always get it right. So you've got to have a culture where it's okay to make mistakes, not big ones, but you've got to be okay to you know, say that you, know, you learn from your mistakes. Do I trust the news these days? Well, trust is you know, depending on what part of the news you're referring to. And there's you know, many you know, platforms which you'd you know, question whether you know, they're, they're, they're trustworthy in which you don't know is the name against it really the name of the person? Who are they? What's their backstory? You know, where do you find them? And you know, can you trust them? And so I think that brands and trust in all categories of business is now probably as important as ever before. And it's the relationship that people have with those companies ultimately which you know, endear them to you know, further purchase, further you know, uh, will pay more for them. You know, it's a, it is about this trust of reliability as well. And so I think it's getting tougher to launch new brands. Uh, it takes a long, t- lot of time and a lot of money and you know, consistency and uh, a great experience to do so. Uh, so in terms of the media trust, uh, with so much um, questionable um, comment and questionable um, you know, fact out there and fakeness, the demand for trusted news has never been greater. Am I getting opinion or am I getting news these days? Well, the, you, you get both and people will pay for both. And the, like, there's different demographic groups that, like, oh, thank you very much. Give me the facts. I'll make my own point of view. Yeah. Oh, or give me the facts and give me your point of view and I'll conclude my own. Um, but given how time poor people are, they you know, do gravitate to you know, not necessarily like-minded, but people whose views they you know, respect, whether it be a person in the morning on the radio. Um, they're entertained and, you know, I like the way they talk. They think like me. 
And people find that in a whole range of different mediums today. And there's so many of them on different video channels, different audio channels, different print channels whereby is it a Paul Murray? Is it a Ben Fordham? Is it Alan Jones? You know, is it a, you know, Ray Hadley? Now, is it a you know, Rita Piani? Is it a, um, a Tim Blair? Some people you know, equally consume them because they disagree. They still respect, but they go, I don't agree with what you say. Are Australians paying for the opportunity to get a premium service or am I getting sucked up with social media and following that too quickly and not questioning enough? What, what are you guys seeing? Well, our, our results show that you know, we uh, you know, have had you know, four years now of a CAGR of growth in subscriptions for about 25%. And um, you know, we've exceeded that in 2020. Um, such was the demand for local news and the growth of trust and the demand and the need for that as well. So, yes, they're paying for it and that, you know, paying for it in um, you know, record numbers. And so that uh, we anticipate that momentum will continue. Talk about innovation. Where, where are we headed in regards to, to news and the media platforms you guys are going to provide? Hey, innovation is constant. I often look at the audio space and say, well, how has Spotify done so well yep. when they were really late to the party? You know, Apple, the music was there. But it's the aggregation. It's that user experience. It's the affinity that people have intuitively around a particular you know, device or platform. It's the like, the editing of a paper and the page design. It's the combination of the picture plus the headline you know, plus then the words. And it's the combination of all those together which really engage an audience. And I think that's what we're seeing today is that those who do innovate – and give the audience a an experience that allows them to consume and understand and interpret quickly and intuitively um, is are the ones that win. And Michael, is the Australians known for innovating, or is it, are we really picking up the best from offshore? Uh, I think now, sadly, we're kind of uh, followers, fast followers, or we're seeing global brands launch here because we're not getting the same level of uh, creativity that we were known for. Um, I think uh, Australia you know, globally was known as a, a country of um, you know, a bit of wild west of entrepreneurs that uh, had a an ambitious you know, uh, mandate to travel the world and uh, take our ideas elsewhere. You know, we've always you know, population-wise been a small country, um, but so I think. That's where I kind of worry that innovation has been squashed, that we're known now to be safe and that we you – know, if you've got great ideas, go to Silicon Valley, go to Germany, go elsewhere to see them come out. And I don't see, think we see enough um, support of innovation in our country, sadly. So what's got to change? Um, hey, it's, it's part cultural, uh, but I think it's partly investment too. We do need to have a, a culture whereby – there's you know, support from tariffs, from um, our universities are encouraged to, and funded. Um, I think that you, know, you think through countries like Israel and that you know, people go there because there are mentors. Like I remember the first time I went there that you know, I'd seen you know, two weeks prior in Sydney, a startup hub, 10 new ideas a week. It's about 200 ideas a night in Tel Aviv. But that's where you've got to go to find the funding, find the, you know, the stimulus, you know, to find the peer support. And that's what I fear that uh, we're not uh, uh, creating a culture in our own country. And so that's where ultimately, you know, there's a whole range of private enterprise, I think private individuals, government, um, and, you know, that part of this funding. Um, but it's also, you know, education and uh, ability to encourage that risk taking. COVID-19, what was your learnings? 
Hey, there's um, been, uh, yeah, from an audience point of view, um, definitely consumers settled at home uh, for far more so. So dig- digital devices, we didn't have enough screens before. We've got a lot more of them now. Um, health and hygiene. You know, it's interesting in Australia, are we, you know, do you need personal health insurance because you know, our hospitals have done pretty well? That's right. Um, or if there's a pandemic going on. Do we need more insurance? You know, there's uh, concerns and we've got a, you know, a culture where these good times can't last. And so I look forward to 2021 and that there is the, like, what will happen with JobKeeper and JobSaver? What will happen with China? What will Biden do? Well, like, will there be an election? Like all these uncertainties come together and go, there's so, I think we do kind of. Great for news. Well, great for, like, plenty to write about, but there always is. We'll find a story. I think there's been shifts in behavior around um, how, how people think about infrastructure, um, think about investment in, in self. So we've seen a lot of you know, what I'd say is, not essential, but necessity buying around home. Then you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday hit, and you know, there was a bit of you know, purchase for for family, but not a lot of purchase investment in self. Um, so I do worry that we're kind of fragile. I think another one which is um, like the mix of the shopping basket has changed under COVID, and that you know, we definitely saw periods of time where different food tastes would come. You know, I worry for the restaurant trade, the travel trade. Uh, that you know, people feel more comfortable at home. And that's not a bad thing, but community's been redefined. You know, some families have been separated, broken down. You know, some have been missed, some haven't been. So you know, that's going to be that, – that will flow out over time. There's some of the trends that we've seen you know, more in a macro sense. Um, I think people have been more emotional too. And you know, you've seen the response to um, you know, the riots around the world. Yeah. You know, the news stories Absolutely. now is dominated by you know, not just America, but it's, it's Asia, it's Middle East. It's, it is you know, frustrations that people have with you know, political leaders and expressing it far more, unfortunately, violently as well. Um, I think we feel a lot more empathy for our political leaders and business leaders. And there's been you know, premiers who have you know, been questioned and that have been forgiven. And you know, maybe that's fair. But equally, there's an emotional overlay which has become unpredictable. And I noticed amongst my group of friends of those who were, you know, very, very brave and you know, would go outside and, you know, and socialise others who haven't been out for months. And I wouldn't be able to pick them. Um, so you're seeing that you know, unpredictable behaviour, which would probably be a hallmark of 2020, 2021. Was, did the demand for news Go up? Was I looking at more content as a result? Yeah, definitely. And more time on screen. Um, so as, as I mentioned, we sold more print product and newspapers in 2020 than what we sold in 2019. And that's, a, uh, you know, particularly it was the Herald Sun. Everyone in Victoria must live within 5Ks of a news agent uh, because uh, they, they were selling a lot more papers. Um, Weekend papers, particularly, we got out of the, you know, We weren't able to see kids play sport. We, you know, well, sport wasn't on at all. Um, we weren't allowed to socialise, and so there was a lot more consumption of news. Um, we saw through Dan Andrews' daily press conference, a lot more people wanting to know what exactly happened, and then go to you know their newspaper site to give the interpretation of you know, whether that was a good outcome or not. Um, so there was definitely an appetite of um, I want to know what's coming on now. And that definitely also uh, helped uh, people, reasons why people have subscribed and uh, to, to Marsets. Now, you had to, exactly right. You had to make some changes, uh, particularly in the region. So, you want to talk us through why you did that and what you think the longer term outcome will be? 
Yeah. We, these were businesses that had already you know, were under you know, some economic pressure, not from a consumer and an audience end. You know, the you know, people living in regions love their local newspaper, but the advertising dollars, which you know they are you know, reliant upon, uh, had migrated to, to digital platforms and bring along you know, real estate agents that can't operate. They're not open. They do open for inspections. You're seeing restaurants and pubs and clubs, which are again mainstays of local communities, not being able to advertise, yeah. and probably not come back in some cases. Um, you know, car yards. You know, like a whole range of different industries that were being impacted. We unfortunately have to make the decision that you know what were already you know, stretched businesses. You know, we haven't closed them. Um, you know, we've you know invested in digital. That's pretty transparent digitally, and equally that's where the audience was migrating to. And that's what um, you know, we've focused on in terms of ensuring that the stories of lo- at a local level, and, and that's been a big part of our growth in you know, 2020, was the demand of local news and you know, what's happening in my suburb. Can you talk us through the big discussion at the moment around Google and the price of content and who pays for what? Where do we stand on that and where will it take us? From a perspective of someone accessing Google or Facebook, um, like being able to access our news, which they've Built huge audiences of over fifteen to twenty years, Absolutely. and you know, that's been able for people to republish our news. That we've spent a lot of money, you know, proofing and testing and developing platforms for, and employing people and building brands of not just the masters but the people over time. Um, that's a, a huge impact that's had on um, us being not able to monetize. Uh, that, that journalism, and as a result, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of um, you know, journalists no longer in the industry, and so that's where I kind of feel that the, uh, the mandatory code is a it's a code that addresses the imbalance between the bargaining power that tech companies have and and local news media companies, and that was really what the high, ACCC highlighted was there was an imbalance there, and that what, what we've really asked for we've got to, you know, we work with Google in a number of areas in in their case and. All we're looking for them is to be paid fairly for the news that appears on their platform that no one's paying for. Pretty fundamental, isn't it? Well, it's not dissimilar to a, uh, a broadcaster that pays you know, a US company for their content and they broadcast in Australia. If Netflix or Stan or Foxtel took someone's film and just showed it to everyone for free and didn't pay, I think there'd be a problem. It's you know That's where... Like, like they're monetizing that content uh, through the audience, it, it, and they would say that uh, not necessarily the individual is uh, consuming that piece of content and the ad next to it, but it's ultimately a lot of what their traffic is is the search of people looking for news around COVID results in every state today. So, how's it going to be resolved? Um, there's a process. Uh, well, the, what the federal government announced in December um, was uh, legislation. That proposed uh, the tech platforms had to negotiate with media companies. Uh, the Senate uh, undertook uh, committee meetings uh, with both the platforms and publishers and media companies um, to get feedback on that uh, proposed legislation. And that if the legislation goes through as planned, then I'd expect that in February it'll be legislated and that uh, the media companies and the platforms have three months to agree to commercial terms. What was your thoughts regarding um, the election in the US and the follow-through regarding censorship and the discussion around that and the role of news and influence? Does it worry you at all? Does it concern you? 
Hey, it's a, not an easy one. Um, was you know, by nature, you know, I'm a person that you know, believes in free speech. Yeah, exactly. And free markets, and that's how you know, I think our great democracies do work. And you don't always uh, like everything you read or hear, and uh, but you need to accept that you know, part of your know, debate is people to be able to express themselves. At the same time, though, like I'm also a believer that there shouldn't be any space for, for hate speech and bad behaviours, and we see a lot of that on some platforms, mm. and that that ultimately, you know, you know it's you know, what what I may consider to be hate, someone else may not, and so that's where it becomes, I think, more challenging. I think that in some cases it's pretty blatant that you know, when someone is you know threatening and trying to cause damage, that does, in my opinion. Um, get into the space of hate. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, in terms of the you know, censorship, um, like I, I th- that makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm. That uh, you know, platforms that you know, really built their business on the fact that this is a forum and a marketplace for people to express themselves, but we are now going to decide what you, what you can and can't say by the individual. I don't. That doesn't sit comfortably. You're happy with the level of sort of the rhetoric out there and the debate that we have this day and age. Uh, you know, is it is a good follow through debate on what's to be discussed, or does it go into personal attack? And if you look at the newspapers, uh, look at the media. There's cheap shots everywhere, isn't there? And and the politicians are just as poor as well. Yeah, I, I the public ultimately, I don't think respect that, but I think the public ultimately get it right. If you go back to, uh, I think multiculturalism in Australia, that there were debates around um, you know, post World War Two migrants you know, from Europe. Um, there was debates around you know, post-Vietnam War. Um, there were immigrants from the Middle East, and that you know, these all became our discussion points. You know, the White Australia policy, you know, sadly, you know, as part of our history, you know, you know, it was all debated through the media. And I think ultimately, you know, our public that public debate, at the silent majority, usually get it right. And you know, we've got to believe in our, believe in our democratic process. That you know, as policies emerge um, from our politicians around what is the right you know, structure within our society, what's the right legislation, what is the right mixture of immigration, and you know, people don't feel always comfortable about that, and that's what comes out through these debates. But I am a believer that you know, when it comes to the voting power, the public generally get it right, and that you know, it's not the media that drive the outcome; it's ultimately the public who listen, and. You know, have a fairly good instinct to you know, the kind of country they want to live in. And you know, I think we've got to be happy with the fact that we live in a pretty good country and that's you know, been you know, ultimately decided upon those at the ballot box. you happy with the uh, level of freedom of the press in this country? No, I'm um, concerned of our reputation globally. What do you mean that, by that? That um, a, there is an increasing um, ability for uh, People in in government, particularly, yep. Yep. to be able to stamp um, uh, items you know, top secret, and there, there is a role for that. That in the, if it's national security, that it will put you know, individuals or the public in danger. Then it should be top secret. But equally, you know, top secret you know, has on occasion been used to this could be embarrassing, and for journalists to you know, touch items, even to touch it, not even open it. It was now a, you know, a criminal offence whereby we've seen houses raided. It's not just houses raided, but you know, reputations questioned, you know, really due to protect reputations 
as much as security. And so I kind of feel that, you know, they're indoctrinated into the US Bill of Rights is the right to ask those questions. And so that, you know, it, what we're seeing in Australia is definitely behind uh, most other leading Western countries. And we pride ourselves on our democracy and to be able to have those public debates. And if journalists are, you know, can't do their job, um, to ask politicians tough questions and which their readers and audiences really do want them to, then like, we don't have it right. So how did we let it get so dumbed down? Over the past 20 years, you know, I think security around the world has changed greatly and that laws have been rushed in uh, to parliaments. Yeah. Um, laws that you know, we cautioned at the time had could be misused and haven't retrospectively been gone back and addressed. And uh, once the laws are made, it's you know, we don't see many occasions where the regulators say, maybe we got that one wrong. Competition. We got enough of it in this country, in the world of journalism and in press? More than ever before. Do we? Yeah. Um, and hey, we're now working in a global economy and a global market whereby you can you know, subscribe to uh, media from anywhere around the world. And that's, and that's great that there's more choice. Uh, but we see in Australia, the New York Times has an office and you can su- subscribe for the Australian edition from here, yeah. the Daily Mail, the Guardian. We are seeing you know, it, the cost to entry is far lower um, than previously. You don't need printing plants um, to be able to express your opinion under a masthead. Well, that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that, doesn't that concern you in some regard? Well, it makes us better. And I think that's, you know, Competition, you know, which can't be afraid of. I think you know, um, looking at the UK market where there is you know, 14 daily newspapers, yep. you focus on you, what, your audience and know what you do and do it really well. And so if you focus too much on your competition, I think you're looking over your shoulder rather than looking at ultimately the person who's going to end up you know, buying and paying for the great journalism that you produce. So is the average Australian reading a lot of international news or taking news from other newspapers? Um, again, that potential to pay and the ability to pay. And our Australians are great benchmark as to how we get comparing to the rest of the world. And you know, I think, yes, we are. We're great travellers and we do have a better sense of you know what it is like to go to America than Americans have a sense of what it's like to go to Europe or Australia. And that, so, yes, we are far more. And uh, we've seen the, uh, the TV broadcasters have multi-channels. We're seeing, as again, so many streamers that have you know, news services. Um, you can listen to you know, news in your local language from anywhere around the world, thanks to you know, the Spotify's, the, you know, the iHeart radios. There is plenty of options for people to access the news that they may choose, as well as getting on in many platforms where individuals express what they think is news. So what's the art of storytelling? Deep down, it is an understanding of your audience. It's an ability to, you know, convey a really much basic human needs in a way that engages people emotionally. It's relevance. It's a mixture of you know, personality and also you know, the people that love to be surprised. It's the unexpected. And I think one of the great strengths of storytelling is the aggregation of many different concepts that come together in a way people you know, are you know, excited by, you know, informed by. Um, and that it's done succinctly. And so that's in a new sense, but equally long form. Uh, we think of the books that we've grown up with and the ones that it is, you know, I, I'm a believer that people's 
basic needs over you know, decades and centuries probably haven't changed. We want a better life for our kids than what we grew up with, and our parents want a better life for us than they had. That uh, we want better, better health, better education, better ability for experiences. We want to be able to you know, be around friends, you know, and you know, we want to eat well. Um, we want to live. Our house wants to be secure and safe, but also comfortable. We want a fast, we want a quick, we want an economic. These are you know, not new concepts, but be able to tell those every year, every month, every day, in a bigger, better, more special way is the art of storytelling, and it's really that understanding of you know, those needs. The role of listening now. You're coming at me in so many different ways, aren't you? I'm not just reading it anymore. I'm getting hit by things like this by podcasts. How much has that changed in the, the world of bringing news to, to the public? Well, I think we all are far better at multitasking, even us folks. Um, <laughs> they'd say... That's true. <laughs> I, I, it, I, you do, uh, when you are, you know, it's not just audio, it is, you know, you can you know, second screen, three screen. That If you're watching a game, you're watching the stats. When you're possibly having a punt, as well as if having a chat, yep. and that tell me how it all kind of maybe we're not doing any of them well, but we are getting better at doing that. And now kids are kind of our kids are kind of learning that concurrently as well. And so, can you handle it all? I think there's another you know, move in media that I think in every industry that the aggregator, and that you see it in in shopping that you have specialty stores that then they come back to department stores because spending half the day running to specialty stores is you don't have the time or it becomes more expensive and you know, just go to one place if they get it all right. And that uh, the role of a paper often is is that you've got those 64 pages and you've only got 20 minutes, but give me what I need to know, surprise me what I, you know, I didn't know I knew, and give me some sport, give me some politics, give me some business, give me some entertainment, give me the water cooler conversation. And it's an aggregation and going to that, and that's why in – broadcast terms, those that are able to combine all those areas of content in a way which is you know, meeting all those needs and those human needs I mentioned prior, the ones that aggregate those the best in an experience that is intuitive are the ones that are going to win. And that's where like, I would see that while we have so many choices, it's how, they, you know, how you bring those together in a compendium of modern living are ultimately the ones that, again, will succeed. So how do you? You run the show because it is the fight for content, right? You can get the content, but you've got to make encourage me to to read it, listen to it, follow it. Hey, you can look at the same news event you know, presented in different ways. True, and not that you know it's colouring it, but some you know it's the voice, it's the it's the take on the angle, it's the the headline. Uh, and there's all these are all parts of the storytelling that come together in a in in, in layers that make it entertaining or make it emotionally engaging. It's the, it's the articulation, it's tone quite often, but that's really an understanding of your audience and speaking to them. At, and I think that's a big thing that happened in 2020 with COVID is that you're speaking down the barrel of a camera, but it's to the individual. You're not broadcasting. You're speaking to uh, 10, 20, 100 individuals who are looking at you and you're talking to them on a personal level. And so it's that understanding of the, again, of audience, but of individuals, you know, state of mind, you know, state of heart, that uh, are the better, where the better storytellers uh, often uh, come to the fore and the, those who do it time and time again. Where's the revenue going to come from in the future? It's, uh, you know, again, it's consumers and increasingly so. 
and some won't, won't want less ads as part of that. They want it quicker. Yeah, right. Um, that makes it pretty difficult, doesn't it? Well, like, I think I kind of think about share of marketing wallet and advertising uh, as a category is seeing a decrease, but marketing is seeing an increase. And so you're seeing every company now has its own website or podcast, newsletter, and they're spending money with people who are producing that. And so in many ways, it's not just individuals that are working media now, it's like everyone in the company. And so while every company has to do that, they don't always do it well. And so part of, you know, we have agencies that uh, we publish and uh, help Qantas for many years on their content. Yeah, right. We work with David Jones. We uh, work with Jetstar. Um, we work with a range of Woolworths and Coles. And uh, in terms of our writing engaging stories and you know, generating content, bringing an audience to that, that uh, builds their brands and builds their customer base. And so that's another revenue stream. Um, hey, data is a gold. And particularly with you know, the changes on how you know, cookies have identified users on sites and how that has you know, meant that you know, increasingly first-party data yeah. or you know, authenticated um, identifiable data yeah. um, that you know, we have you know, uh, large numbers of, uh, how we work you know, with companies to enable them to target the right people. And so there's less wastage. I think it's uh, contextual environments. There's another area which we have lot, lots of. So if you're advertising a, a travel product, you know, we have travel brands and people, are, when they're reading travel content, are in the travel mindset to just better respond to advertising. And that's not dissimilar, it's that we can better target that uh, with the data we've now got. Privacy is a pretty interesting topic at the moment. Hmm. Some of the big tech companies have been known to be listening. Where do you see that debate moving and the impact it could have for revenue generation? Like you said, you mine the data, excellent data. Is it borderline invading my privacy or is it this a very solid wall? Well, it's ultimately how you use that data. Um, and I think you need to be, I think transparency um, becomes pretty important for the user to know, you know what is being collected and that they can easily identify that. And that if you misuse your data, then I think that damages reputation, you get less trust. So we're very you know, firm on that. That you, you know, ultimately, yeah, you, know, you put your customer first and the the person who's buying you, and that if you misuse that trust, then they'll leave you. Um, and that's you know, ultimately they can tell other people about that. So, I it's it is important, and uh, there are you know, some companies that maybe misuse data. I feel that our regulators you know need to stay ahead of that curve, and so. But I don't know that we've got a major problem where you know, we see privacy being you know, you know, misused on a too regular basis. I think Australian companies are good companies ultimately and we have a strong regulatory framework on and good risk and governance within our boards. So I don't see Australian companies as being uh, big misusers of data to date. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? It all comes down to, a lot of the time, it comes down to trust, doesn't it? Yeah, it, um, like trust is wide... The rest of the saying around you can, you know, it takes years to build the reputation, but the reputation is built on trust and you can lose that trust by being an untrustworthy you know, partner and um, you know, company very quickly. So I you know, feel that trust is something which you know, every company needs to be, you know, trust and safety, you know, trust in you know, uh, reliability, trust in care, you know, trust in health. 
Um, like these are all different themes which you know the trust layers get built upon. And if you do that consistently, then consistently you're going to build a, bit, a stronger brand. I, I talked about you know, previously you know, the public being a bit more forgiving in the past 12, 12 months. And I hope that you know, people do make mistakes. And I think that's a good sign that, uh, that you can make one, but maybe only one. If you start, if you're a consistent mistake maker, then I think you lose that trust. Trust really comes down to brand. You're buying a brand that you trust. Where do you stand in regards to the politicians, the key business leaders of the world, answering some of the tough questions? Should they be answering these questions from the journalists? Yeah, I think they should be. I think there's uh, too often, um, I don't know. Can't recall. Can't recall. It, um, I kind of feel that we need to call them out on that um, as being, you know, where you're being elected and paid to recall and to find the answer. And that I can't recall is not good enough. And that's, you know, I think we've seen a bit of that in 2020. And I think the public's patience with that sort of answer has run out. So, so where, where do you see the Australian sentiment at the moment? Are we upbeat? We were a bit lost. How, how are you seeing things? Um, all of the stat would say that consumer confidence is is high. Mm. Um, the economic rebound in the final quarter of the calendar 2020 um, was surprising. Now, whether it was our hard-earned or the government uh, you know, support that uh, was the result of that uplift, um, you know, we'll probably see in 2021 uh, if the tap, tap gets turned off. Unemployment worry you? It does. And we're going to be turning that tap off in March. Yeah, um, but we've had plenty of time to plan for that. Mm-hmm. And it may not be as bad as what we all dread. We should plan for the worst as always, yeah. and we're good at that. Um, but I feel that you know, there's, you know, there's jobs out there. Absolutely there is. Our regional Australia, who's booming, <laughs> they, they you know, think you should take JobKeeper and get you know, and sit in the lounge, or could you earn a few more dollars and pick strawberries? You're a leader. How complex is, is it to lead this day and age, particularly an organisation which is heavily involved in technology? How do you guide people? How do you choose your leaders? Again, I believe in you know, it's, it's, you've got to have a diverse team. And hey, the team that I've uh, luckily got around me, um, and they and don't mind me saying it, but they're pretty painful. Um, you know, getting them on the same page is uh, not easy, but... I think groupthink is, you know, danger. You know, can you all agree in five minutes, you know, you got to – something's wrong. <laughs> Being that, yeah, that doesn't happen every day. In choosing leaders, I suppose yeah, diversity is important, diversity of thinking, diversity of views, and the willingness to have you know, trusting debates and you know, therefore landing on the right decision quickly. Mm. you got to have doers. Um, I think narrative has become really important, being, you know, Again, that story that you can impart your teams and your staff and motivate them to you know, unify around an outcome. Yeah. Um, data's been great around you know, being able to measure how we all are doing. And it's not the only metric, you know, data. There are other you know, softer, you know, more emotional ones as well, which are often forgotten, um, being the impact that you can have. But you know, we've got to you know, know what you've signed up for and how you, what does success look like as well. Managing complexity, being, you know, again, not shy to make tough decisions, particularly around people. You know, ultimately, it's good people leaders. You can, you, know, you need smart, 
uh, members of your team, but you know, getting the job done is about you know is about people and uh, being able to you know, motivate and lead teams is ultimately uh, people skills is what I look for as a you know important factor of you know, your team. You have to be in one of the most dynamic industries there are. How do you deal with pressure? Oh, I'd say that every team is, every business is dynamic these days, and I under a lot of scrutiny. Oh, but that's we've always been under some scrutiny. I've been in the business for a while, and that you know we've had twenty years of disruption, and whereby you know it would be our employment businesses, our real estate businesses, our car businesses, our news businesses, um, and that you know, that's where we talk about so much competition, and we've made plenty of mistakes. We've played defence. We've tried to copycat. We haven't actually gone back to what we've done really well, being focusing on the audience and engaging with them with products and services and stories that they will respond to. And so when I think about dynamic, um, we've seen bank deregulation occur. We've seen changes in the automotive industry. There's also some of the newer players that are emerging. And you know some brands that don't exist as much as they previously do, and we've seen it in food, we've seen it in retail, in terms of delivery, and you know being able to fly things in from offshore within forty-eight hours. So I would say that there's so many industries that you know airlines, travel industries, and you know the cost of travel is probably the same as it was twenty years ago. I suppose where every business is dealing with complexity and dynamic changes. If anything, you know the industry I work in probably saw it earlier than others, and so change is constant. You know, change you've got to embrace. And in fact, you know, we're on the mindset now that yeah, we're going to be the disruptors and the challenges and that how we build our businesses are in new audience groups, paying in new ways, bundled with other product. And that's you know, what I get excited by and that it's the opportunity rather than the, the, the challenge. Can I ask you a um, sort of a bigger question? Leadership, what happens when Mr. Murdoch decides to stand down? Uh, Rupert Murdoch is the co-chair of uh, News Corp. Yeah. Lachlan Murdoch. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, that transition is in in play, and you know it's a smooth one. It's uh, they you know know each other well, obviously, um, and they work well together. And uh, I see that uh, transition. So I kind of feel that's rather smooth, and it's already and that's been in place now for a number of years. Direction change much? Do you think? Hey, we are a you know, global company, and that again, you know, directions you know, change as opportunities emerge, and uh, audiences change, and markets change, and so again, change is constant. Um, but I you know, don't see that you know, any changes are happening at strategic, and not a result of any you know, change in personnel. Okay, I had a chat with someone yesterday, and he thought it'd be interesting to ask you this question. Accusations out there that Murdoch's fairly close to Mr. Trump, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, I don't know. But is it going to affect News Corp's ability to get close to the new leadership, to get the answers that you seek? Do you think? Uh, I, I think there's probably been more made out of that than yeah, what it probably is, yeah. and that you know, in many countries, you know, news has different. Um, Media brands that have you know, our, our you know, I think our success is reading our market and reading our audience, 
and what their attitudes are and what their needs are. It's not necessarily that, like I don't know that politicians deliver us more more ratings or more audience. To be honest, it's the the stories around them, and so uh, it's you know we'll you know, it'll move from Trump to Biden and to whomever to follow Trump. Yeah, we've seen that cycle every four years in America's case. No retributions in that regard, you know. No, I don't think that you know. I don't think there's been any. There's been an appetite for you know, not just uh, News Corp or Fox Corp you know, brands have covered well. I agree. And that a lot, you know, Trump's probably been you know, good for media. And you know, absolutely, I. You know, it was a it was America that voted him in. And uh, ultimately, they they're the ones who you know, live with the, with that decision. What's your take on what we've learned watching the US election for a debate where the world's swinging, where politics is going? Hey, politics where it's going, I think, is you know, to be a politician today is very different to 10, 20 years ago. Um, you know, again, it's far more complex and you know, it's what people write about you. It's also what you can write directly to them, as Trump has shown. Um, oh, through Twitter, so you don't always need, you know, the the relationship with the media as being the only point of coverage. You know, is that has definitely changed. I think you know, politicians are you know, far more conscious. I think of you know, narrative and image, and probably think through how it's communicated. And that, that's in many ways always been the case. You often saw a news conference at four thirty for the six o'clock news. That was the news cycle. Yeah, but I guess the last big thing that came out was fake news, wasn't it? Well, well, that's well, the headline fake news, fake news. Oh, Trump definitely pushed that when he yeah. you know, was his word for BS. Um, when he didn't like something being said, he called it fake news, whether it was or not. You know, it was is also questionable. Yeah, but that was his you know, line. Um, but there's no doubt that there is you know, misinformation that can be more easily spread on on different platforms, which would put themselves to be media. Are we playing it smart with our relations up in up in Asia? Probably early days. We've got to have a business relationship with China. Um, equally, we want to be good neighbours, and we want them to be, you know, good neighbours and good business partners. And so the, the that that balance, I think, is really where it's a you know, it's a trade war, if you want to use that term, yeah. a trade dis- disagreement, and which I kind of feel that China's flexing on. And whether you know, that is fair to Australia, I we well, don't want to you know, be in an unfair relationship, and that to me is the, the the debate we are currently having. I'm I'm a bit more optimistic that you know, it's not the first time that our neighbours have had disagreements and tried to rebalance. We've seen it in Europe in the past few years with Brexit. You now you. We've seen immigration topics you know, emerge in North America. Absolutely, yeah. You've seen also trade disagreements occur in other parts of, of, of Asia. And so we're, it's, this one's evolving us. And so it's, uh, you know, obviously you know, we give it a lot of attention. Um, but uh, we've had a productive and constructive relationship with China and that it's changing as you know, relationships around the world are changing. Again, I'm an optimist that uh, through smart diplomacy and you know, sitting down around a table, you will ultimately get there. But it, it may take longer than uh, what we would like. Are we a smart nation, Michael? 
Oh, I think we're a very smart nation. Do we think far enough ahead? Oh, our reputation globally over 2020 is that, uh, and we don't appreciate it enough in Australia, that we've, we were, Australia was quick. Absolutely. We were smart. You're healthy. You know, we're you, sitting here, you, aren't we? You're in a prosper. Like where, you know, like while you've gone through some you know, restrictions, it's nothing like the impact that it's had elsewhere. And, you know, the, which will be, you know, socially impacted, you know, in other countries, you know, for decades. Um, that we haven't seen that sort of impact yet in Australia. So our reputation is, I think, a lot stronger and how we capitalise upon our reputation being stronger globally is something which maybe we need to be spending more time about. Um, I think maybe we're, I think our confidence has also uh, been, you know, it's probably stronger when we think globally as well, and rightly so. But do we believe in it enough, do you think? Oh, I don't think we do. I don't think that we've, you know, I think the changes in Europe post-Brexit and you know, new trade opportunities is, is one. Um, I think there's other parts of you know, Asia other than China that we could be, could be focused on. Um, and so rather than thinking about the downside, we should be thinking about the upside and the options. And we should never be, like in business, you, know, you don't want to be a key person dependent. And in trade, you don't want to be a key country dependent either. And you know, it's probably a, a, a good reminder that you know, there are other trading partners out there um, and uh, maybe we were too reliant on China. What's next for you? I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Hey, you want to be challenged? Do you want to feel you know, personally rewarded? Yeah. Um, I you know, enjoy getting up in the morning and uh, checking out the news of the day, which you know, it gives me an insight of what the day may be. Um, yeah, I you know, go back to as a kid, I was a appetite for news, and uh, I'd miss it if it wasn't part of my daily life. Of uh, like, there's change happening constantly within our industry, and I think that there is a change happening in our country. And to be you know, where I am today yeah. uh, is a huge privilege to you know, be in a position where of you know, responsibility too, of um, being you know, part of a, a, a key moment of, in our country's history, um, and being in a position of being able to. You know, hopefully contribute some benefit to a dialogue. So I'm, I, 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 I don't, I've never been one that planned my life out you know, or my career out. And you, know, you take the opportunities when they come along. But as a leader, how do you, where do you spend your time? How much are you thinking? How much time are you taking to think 10, 15 years ahead? Can you think that far? How do you, you know, it's such a dynamic industry again. And as you say, you've got enormous responsibilities. What's the day in the life of Mr. Miller? Oh, hey, my, the, yeah, there's two aspects of that, the day and also the 15-year part of the question. Um, constant balance, I think that's where a lot of people think through in terms of leaders is, you know, do I get the balance right? And uh, so for me, you know, I, I'm a keen exerciser. You know, you go, I check news early, check a bit on Sky in the evening, but, you know, if I don't have another function on, which has been good in 2020, then you kind of, you know, Look at 10, 30, 11, and then you at 5.30, you've done a quick check and 6 o'clock and do a bit of exercise and, you know, you try to get to the office by 7.30. Yep. Um, you know, spend a bit of time with the family, get home. I, I try to get home in the evening to have a meal with the, with the family. Um, that, that's important. It's, you know, you don't, if all you do is work, then you, you know, I don't think you've got that balance, that perspective of how other people live as well. I like to read news at home. That's where people read news. Uh, they you know, don't sit in their offices and watch TV all day. They should be working, <laughs> and generally they are. They are. Um, I you know, you know, like to. You know, you've got to have a few pastimes. You know, I like my rugby. Go down to the local club. You know, I you know, like uh, 
you know, connecting with you know, friends from different uh, stages of life as well. That gives you a good perspective and meeting their friends uh, as well. Um, hey, it is a job where you do, you know, you, you do need to look after your, your partners and your clients. And so Absolutely. they're yeah. great areas of feedback as well. Yeah. Hey, when I think uh, the 10 and 15 year question, you know, leaders are responsible for thinking of you know, horizons. And I don't put time limits on it. I think that 12-month plan, three-year plans are what the financial markets expect. Yeah, that's the balance, yeah. But that's not how consumers think. That's not how the public thinks. And so I kind of like to think in terms of horizons and being able to – some horizons may push out, some may come in. But, you know, you've got to anticipate how people may start to change, how competitors may change, how technology will have an impact. And I remember the day that the iPad suddenly landed on everyone's desk. That just changed the way people then started to interact with technology. And a touchscreen, wow, we saw that in movies, but this is now a real thing. Um, Facial IDs and how you consume data and how you interpret it. These are all the sorts of areas which I find you've got to be constantly reading and getting those insights on, but also joining the dots for. I think a good leader can join dots and, again, give teams stimulus to which and permission to also you know, think in terms of horizons and ultimately as leaders you try to bring all those, you know, the financial as well as the behavioural as well as the people components and the cultural components, the competitive components together. And I suppose I spoke, I spoke at the start around you know, my interest early days of how does media work together. Yeah, uh, It's not dissimilar to in business is how these components won't just work together now and function together and pr- produce an outcome together but how that may change in the next you know, 10, 15 years. So you um, you buoyed by where media is now and where it's going? Well, people are consuming more media than ever, and that's you know they're consuming from you know, in some countries for more than twenty four hours a day. If you added up all of the triple screen time they take, so I'm um, really excited by you know, the appetite that's there. Uh, the commercial side of it, you know, there is probably an oversupply. Whether that is financially sustainable, yeah, is possibly where. There'll be some as every industry that goes through a burst, see some either consolidation or redundancy or replacement come into play. But I'm buoyed by the fact that the public have an appetite for current affairs. And that is what ultimately we are in the business of is satisfying that that news demand that people have that help them live their lives better. How do you stay ahead as an organisation? Do you have the labs? Do you track every competitor? What's I'm not sure there's all the above, but you guys are cutting edge and always have, and have been. What's in it that makes you guys do so so well? And uh, it's you know, not one thing. As I say it's part. I talked about culture before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's around you know, permission. You can't subscribe and read everything, but you need a team around you that has that that quest to to investigate and. A good journalist you know, has that quest to you know, dig a bit deeper, you know, find out something and you know, that inquisitive mind is combined with the ability to then you know, translate it and condense it and communicate it. And you know, when you've got a great team and who've got great teams that are able to condense that and give you those sorts of stimulus, then you know, you've got you – know, that's where the magic starts to, 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 to come together in terms of – a you know an ability to you know how how would this work? I think that's really why it's important to have people back into offices because creative debate doesn't occur sadly over 
you know, a screen. So what do you think about that? Should we be encouraged? So a lot of leaders aren't calling it back in yet. Well, um, you know, we've been big on the fact that you know, it's, you know, it's, it's blended working. People do need time to just put their, you know, clear their head and have a bit of quiet time. And you know, I think COVID's been good to enable people to do so. But I think when it comes to creative debate, it is critical that we have you know, people in rooms you know, being able to, to map out and see expression. Um, and people understand and empathise as well in what someone else is saying. I think mentorships and development and you know, the number of times people get wander over to someone else and say, what do you think of this? They just don't Zoom up or Google, you know, Google Meet up and you know, say, you know, what do you think? They, you need that sort of dialogue in the office. I think culture um, is a big part of the success of particularly a media business, but most businesses is you know, that alignment that you, know, you can put on a page, you can speak to people about, but you know, offices are places where people do congregate and they still start, that becomes that melting pot of ideas. Um, and that is ultimately where your culture of trust, standards, teamwork of encouragement occur. I think office structures and workplaces will become a competitive point of difference probably in the next two years, is that they, they will change, they'll become shared workplaces, and those companies that get it right, you know, I think will get a, a head start and those who don't always get it right will catch up. As a decision maker, how many decisions do you base on intuition as opposed to analysis? Like you said, you've got a water of it's, experience. It's not, it's not black, or, black and white. No. But, yeah. um, you know, so gut feel? Well, I, I, I always say that the, uh, on, the walls of, on the walls of the research department of Fox Television in the US, it's... You know, our strength is, you know, we listen to our audience in the data yeah. and we use our golden gut. And it's the combination of both. And in at different times, they weight differently. You know, and I, you know, I do subscribe to, to that. And sometimes you just need to base it on the fact. You know, what does the stats tell me? Because I don't have a gut on it. Other times, you know, this is something there that, you know, and there are some people that have great gut and you do want them to be part of your business. But you need to balance that out. And you talked about risk early, making mistakes. Part of the culture? I think it's part of life in many ways, but it is part of the culture. And if you're going to be empathising with the audience, you know, they, they make mistakes, we make mistakes. You've got to be accountable for those mistakes, but equally you learn from them. And you know, Do we encourage it enough? I don't think so. I was, you know, when you say this, I think about my kids. And you, know, you wanted them to be the best they can. You, know, you need them to... You know, be able to learn from their mistakes and not do things for them. And think the same thing applies at work is that you know, sometimes you don't know the answer and you need to, it's okay not to know. And you need to people to take you know, those risks because, you know, every time you learn, you make, you, you get better from the mistakes you make. And that I you know, talked about creativity in our country mm. and pushing boundaries and having that free, you know, a bit more you know, like entrepreneurial innovation. Yeah. And that are we you know, too you know, over-indexed to managing the downside rather than thinking about the upside? I think maybe we are too, you know, we haven't quite got the balance right there. If you were to look back at that young man growing up in Hunter Valley, what advice would you give him now? Don't wait. You know, I think um, I you know, would reflect on, you know, I could have uh, been more confident to test my arm in different uh, times of my life, um, maybe you know, the fact that I sat back and observed and looked and you know, was 
you know, maybe it made me who I am today, uh, being you know, more of an observationist. Um, but I feel that you know, something that you know, can be done now, don't wait for tomorrow, would be one piece of advice. I think the, the, you know, the confidence in having the conversation. You know, I think that you, know, you learn from people and you know, you know, in business we call it networking, but I think in life you know, it's you know, being able to you know, with confidence have a conversation with the, you know, a whole variety of people and you know, learn from them. And so you know, start kicking that off and having the confidence to kick off that and then listen. You know, I, I love asking people questions and hearing their, you know, their stories and their perspectives and I learn from everyone. Well, on that, Michael, I've enjoyed listening to you today and I thank you for joining us. Thanks for the invitation and including me. You've been listening to No Limitations. Thank you.